Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 157 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we're talking about cholesterol as medicine. Say what? As medicine. It's true. (laughs) You've heard us say this before, and we've talked about how cholesterol is not the enemy. And today we're going to break down its redeeming properties and hopefully dispel some of that lingering misinformation that just continues to circulate and demonize cholesterol. And I just can't wait to get this out there because I have so many clients still coming to me stressed about their cholesterol, you know, wondering if they should go on a statin, getting it kind of shoved down their throats. And I'm like, please stop the madness. There is a lot of madness (laughs) within the world and the world of steroidal pathways and yes, the multi-billion dollar industry of the HMO CoA reductase drugs known as statins. So we will unpack all of the things and um, short announcements. Then let's let's rip Becky. Um, I want to share with you guys that potentially when this episode goes live, if the universe is working in our favor, we will be opening pre-sale of Adrenal Rehab, which is my new cutting edge program. I'm just going to drop it like that because we've actually scheduled ourselves as the mid-roll podcast sponsor. (laughs) So stay tuned to learn details. But I believe as of this week, you are able to pre-order Adrenal Rehab. It's a virtual self-guided program and you are able to get it for only $99. So stay tuned. In the middle of the episode, we'll take a little brain break and um, talk to you a little bit more on that program. Yes. And if you're wondering what's up with book tour, we are, when this episode airs, we'll be in Portland or Seattle on the 6th. We'll be in yeah. Portland. <laughs> well, in, and, in between. Yeah. yeah Seattle in between. between. SeaTac, CLTCAC, I was going to say, SeaTac area, (laughs) uh, Seattle, Tacoma. I'm going to be at Marlene's Market today uh, from one to three. But, you know, since we're on the road, this episode might go live later after our dinner in Portland. We don't even know. This is just life. (laughs) Yeah. So keep up to date, though, over at AllieMillerRD.com slash events. I've got everything up through the end of November so that you can RSVP, check out the free events, see if we're coming to your city. And if not, hang tight and continue to shoot us your suggestions of places to go and people to see. Yes, all the things. So let's let listeners know some past resources on cholesterol because this is not our first rodeo. Like Becky said, this is not the first time that we've talked to you guys about the benefits of cholesterol and it playing a role with hormone and being a a role within the barrier defense of our body with our cell membranes. So go on over to episode 40, which is called Heart Health and Cholesterol as like a 101 foundation. 
Then check out episode 78, In Defense of Coconut Oil, where we dropped a lot of knowledge on LDL specifically and saturated fat, including all of the details on medium chain triglycerides and coconut oil's many benefits. I got 100 problems and coconut oil can fix all of them, basically. (laughs) And, uh, or 99, that's the rap song. I don't know. And then, uh, episode 128, uh, we had a friend, Dr. Nadir Ali on, uh, who is a keto cardiologist and he laid some knowledge. One of my favorite stats that I like to drop now, which we'll reiterate in today's episode is that total LDL is inversely related with all cause mortality. That's one of my favorite things to say in a short elevator speech on cholesterol when I'm at an event and, uh, or a family member or something where I just want to say, hey, guys, just we're, we're, we're barking up the wrong tree here. Yep. Leave our bacon alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. And before we go- There's also yes. that bacon episode too, oh, just yeah. saying. Yeah. I didn't even think of that one. I'll, I'll link to that one too. And then I know we dropped some good knowledge on cholesterol in some hormone-related episodes, and we'll get into that connection a little bit later in today's episode too. So we'll link- all of the other places and resources, but hopefully today's episode will be like a good one-stop shop to kind of shut those people up who are (laughs) still pushing those outdated recommendations. Yeah. Not not shut you guys up for you to like send to your aunt who won't shut up about it. (laughs) Sure. Or, or just, you know, put your own mind at ease from those (laughs) antiquated circulating rhythms. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, before we go any further and get into some of the cool nerdy stuff we've got planned, let's just have a quick word from today's sponsor for this episode who totally understands how healthy fats are. F-bomb. Yes. So y'all know that I love F-bomb. I met them at the first ever KetoCon and they were one of the only products that really embodied my food as medicine approach using all single ingredients to make delicious nutrient dense delivery of snacks. So they started with nut butter packs. Uh, They use macadamia or coconut oil in all of their packs. And then they might add pecan or uh, they all have different forms of salt, which is a really nice enhancer. As you guys know, that salt really dances on the palate. My favorite right now is the macadamia nut and coconut. And uh, Stella, my three-year-old, loves F-bombs as well. You guys know that in my household, we do no naked carbs. So anytime she's going for berries or a fruit, we always pair that with an F-bomb. Yes. So head on over to dropanfbomb.com slash AllieMillerRD to check out all of Allie's favorite products and save on your order. Yes. F-Bomb is one of the sponsors of the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook book tour. So if you come and meet me at any of the stops, you will get a free F-Bomb to try and they're doing giveaways at every stop as well. So just super stoked to have them on board and such a synergistic partner. We love their Keto Crunch, their pork sticks, their premium oils, and all of the F-Bomb nut butter packs. Again, dropanfbomb.com backslash AllieMillerRD. Check it out, save, and support your brain and body with fats. Yes. All right. So let's just kick things off today with a little bit of one-on-one, one-on-one kind of backtracking. Um, what exactly, Allie, is cholesterol? Like what does okay. it do? Where's it made? Let's talk about it. 
Yes. So it is a steroidal compound, steroidal compound, and it is an organic molecule that is essential for all animal life. Essential. <laughs> I just want to say that. It is present in the cell membrane of all of the cells in your body, and it serves as a precursor or basically a building block for other steroid hormones as well as bile salts in the body. And we talk about cholesterol, I think some of the misunderstanding is in its waxy substance. So the, the texture of cholesterol does have like a waxy, saturated nature. And this is that disconnect of just like the bacon grease solidifying at, you know, room temperature or whatnot of this elementary assumption that these solid fats would quote unquote clog your arteries. Yes, I remember hearing that even from professors back in my RD <laughs> classes and things like that. But let's give a quick refresh on where and how cholesterol is produced and regulated in the body. And just spoiler alert, it's not like the second you eat an egg or you eat butter or bacon that it's like automatically showing up to clog your arteries. Right. Again, I think we, we talked about that actually with, I remember um, Diane Sanfilippo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she gave a really, it was just kind of that exact same explanation. She's like, just to like 101, I know your audience is forward thinking, but <laughs> we just need to keep saying that just because something is an unsaturated fat versus a saturated fat, that doesn't mean that your body at 98 degrees, <laughs> you know, doesn't regulate that in a completely different way. And there aren't metabolic processes, right? So cholesterol is produced endogenously. That means your body makes it. Remember, it's essential for all animal life. Your liver is the gland that produces cholesterol and regulates the production based on circulating levels. So, you know, the antiquated or outdated recommendation of reducing your daily milligrams of cholesterol, and that's when we were demonizing eggs and shrimp, right? The, the recommendation was to keep under 300 milligrams daily of cholesterol. The thought was very myopic in the sense that cholesterol-containing foods raise cholesterol circulating in your body. And it's not. It's on how the liver reads your circulating lipids and then produces based on that. So I think that needs to be like reiterated for the people in the back, <laughs> that your body doesn't necessarily take the dietary cholesterol that you eat and just turn it into how much cholesterol is in your body because you need beyond that. So a 1,000 milligrams a day is probably more than – you know, most people who eat a high animal fat diet aren't even getting right. that. Um, right. So it, it's not like that, like egg at 187 milligrams of cholesterol just shows up like in your baseline numbers. Absolutely. Yes. The body produces cholesterol. Yeah. <laughs> most yeah. definitely. And it wouldn't produce it if it didn't need it. So we'll get yes. into the whys, but today I, and, <laughs> oh, I was just going to say. Even, go ahead. You, go ahead just going to say, I, I received recommendations from a doctor's office today that actually stated that I should be consuming less than 200 milligrams per day, which are really outdated recommendations and less than 7% of that from saturated fat. I'm like marking it up with a pen as I'm sitting in the waiting area like this. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was doing TV segments uh, for Fox in Houston, and I would talk about how 
even a vegan muffin can raise your cholesterol levels. <laughs> and like people would be like, what? Um, and I would explain the element of, yes, when your blood sugar spikes with a refined carbohydrate product that doesn't have ample fat and doesn't have protein, you know, that spike of blood sugar your body is going to store that glucose as fat. And guess what? Cholesterol is a lipid. It's a type of fat. And I think that that's a really good, just new way of saying it, the same information, right? That, you know, really in most people, only about a quarter of the amount of circulating cholesterol in their body is influenced from the diet itself. And it's the liver producing and regulating based on need from the body. So today what we're going to unpack for you guys is, again, some of the benefits that that cholesterol can do for your body and why your body might be upregulating the production pathways. Okay. I think that's really, really helpful to clarify. And hopefully that's got everyone kind of at ease already. Um, one thing I do want to entertain though, it's a common question I get with a lot of our keto clients and something that I do see actually pretty often clinically is when someone first starts keto, uh, they'll often see a big jump in their cholesterol, specifically in their LDL. And I like to just tell them, hey, you just started something new. Let's see what the body's going to do with it. And I, I just kind of joke with them. I'm like, it's just your body's way of like soaking up all the good fat that you've been avoiding for all this time. Yes. And so, you know, there can definitely be, anytime we make any dynamic change, we can see the body go into a recalibration mode. So yes, the liver again produces predominantly your cholesterol, but it also produces so many other things. It's, I like to refer to the liver as like the UPS of the body, right? So when we absorb nutrients in our intestines, then all of that circulating blood flow goes through the hepatic portal. And then the liver decides, okay, now this goes here, this goes there, produce this, turn this up, turn this down. And when your body is in an active mode of weight loss, especially in a ketogenic state where you're, you're really creating more circulating fat, both from the body fat loss as well as the increased fat consumption, that can have an impact on increasing LDL levels as well as total cholesterol levels. But I will say over time, what we typically see is that those triglyceride levels favorably come down because those tend to trend and come down with insulin levels with a low carbohydrate diet. And HDL tends to favorably go up over time. But be mindful, yes, when you're in an active mode of weight loss, Especially we've seen studies of like uh, prolonged fasting or intermittent fasting, that fasting itself, because it upregulates body fat metabolism and these body composition shifts, that that can increase the total cholesterol levels, right? Um, so fat loss, weight loss, and increased fat in the diet can definitely increase total cholesterol and LDLs. But over time, we will generally see with a low-carbohydrate diet favorable lipid outcomes. I want to take it one step further and just talk a little bit about a, a geeky mechanism if y'all are on board with this. So when we're understanding the pathways, we talked about this a little bit uh, in episode 128 with Dr. Ali. Uh, we're looking at, as I dropped in the beginning of the episode, this enzyme pathway in the body, um, HMG-CoA. And HMG-CoA reductase is the enzyme that the statin drugs block. And HMG-CoA is a 
place where ketones and cholesterol are going to be manufactured or going to be built, right? So when we block HMG-CoA reductase, that's the pathway that drives the cholesterol production, and that's when cholesterol levels go down. Now, to get to HMG-CoA, we require acetyl-CoA, and acetyl-CoA is going to be a primary fuel source that participates in the Krebs cycle or, or makes ATP or energy, right? And when we make ketones, we shunt acetyl-CoA from the mitochondria and we upregulate ketone production. So the increase of acetyl-CoA from the mitochondria in that process of hitting the HMG-CoA pathway of building ketones may in turn also hit that HMG-CoA pathway to impact cholesterol production. Okay. So that was pretty nerdy, but basically <laughs> cholesterol yeah, could just go what up. What did it do? Yeah. It could just go up as part of the mechanism of you're producing ketones, basically. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's basically like the, the fuel source that makes ketogenesis possible, right, is going to be diverted in a, or basically metabolized in a different way, which could stimulate cholesterol production. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. And then another kind of nerdy <laughs> thing out there, and this is something that um, Dave Feldman with the cholesterol code talks about a lot is certain groups of people known as lean mass hyper responders are going to respond um, like with a pretty dynamic jump sometimes in that LDL when they go keto or go low carb. Right. And, you know, the thought is tying into their lower glycogen stores and that they may drive their liver. And again, obviously in a, a lean mass hyper responder, this is a, a lean individual with a good amount of muscle mass that's also doing a low carbohydrate diet. Okay. And so this may drive the liver to increase production of the lipoprotein particles. And um, that could be in a, a mode of survival of transporting fuel to the cells because that individual doesn't have these excess fuel reserves of fat, body fat. Got it. That makes sense. So they're getting really good at using fat for fuel. There's just kind of more circulating in the system, if you will. Yeah. So because you're not wearing it, it's flowing through you, right? <laughs> and I think that that's probably an okay thing when we look at all of the other mechanisms of, of those, those individuals. Sure. So notice, guys, we haven't said that that increase in LDL or increase in total cholesterol is dangerous in any of these cases. It's just that it may, you may observe it going up and it may very well be back down like six months later. And often that's what we recommend is just kind of observe, retest. Maybe we bring in some fiber or something like that if it's like a really high LDL particle count, but usually it's nothing to worry about. Yes. And we'll save interventions because there's yes. a couple things you yeah. can do. Yeah, but yes. exactly. <laughs> um, so I literally can't wait to send this episode to everyone who asks us that question and have this as a resource for our incoming keto group in January, just because it's it's like a burning question on everyone's top of mind. Um, but let's just unpack a little bit um, or kind of further debunk the um, relationship of cholesterol to heart disease, just to get some of like the big myths out of the way before we get too deep. Yes. So, you know, I, I talk about this like bell curve that the NIH has out on their website and, you know, this is the National Institute of Health 
And, um, you know, there's statistics that 75% of people who suffer a heart attack have normal cholesterol levels, 75%. So, you know, that's in itself already a mic drop. We can kind of go further and, and see how there's low serum cholesterol has been correlated with higher mortality, right? So again, that inverse relationship of the higher the LDL, the higher the total cholesterol, the lower risk factor of death, right? <laughs> <Anything>. um, so <laughs> that's kind of important. High levels correlate with longevity. And another independent study showed um, cholesterol has never been clinically demonstrated to cause a single heart attack. In women, serum levels have an inverse relationship with mortality from all causes. For every one milligram per deciliter drop in cholesterol per year, there was a 14% increase in the rise of overall mortality. That's one that I think is worth highlighting for certain. Uh, many countries have higher average cholesterol levels with lower rates of heart disease. Low levels um, are a risk factor for several types of cancer, as well as we'll talk about respiratory and infectious diseases. And then a quarter of the body's cholesterol is in the brain. And studies have demonstrated higher rates of dementia and cognitive decline in individuals with low cholesterol. Okay. So that all right there. And I don't think we need to go back into like ancient history of, you know, Ansel Keys and the seven country study or the Framingham heart study or anything like that, because that's enough right there. Um, <laughs> just that mm -hmm. having higher cholesterol, you know, equates with a lower risk of dying. That's enough for me. <laughs> I think so. Yes. And then, you know, even the dangerous LDL type it doesn't hold up the scrutiny of being a culprit for heart disease. There was a study in 2015 that attempted to clarify the relationship between heart attack and serum levels of LDL. And after they followed 724 patients, the authors of the study found that those with lower LDL cholesterol and triglycerides had a significantly elevated mortality risk when compared to patients with a higher LDL and even triglyceride levels. Yep. And then another study that I pulled in here out of Edinburgh, Scotland, followed patients for a 10-year period and found that the highest cholesterol group, which was over 241 milligrams per deciliter, where a doctor might be prescribing a statin, they had the, high, at the lowest rates of hypertension, stroke, and coronary artery disease over that 10-year period. So lots of good yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, to summarize, cholesterol is not the enemy and having those higher levels can actually protect you from dying, can protect you from cancer, can protect you from Alzheimer's, all of those things. Um, but let's get into a little bit more on the actual functions of cholesterol Mechanism. in the body. Yeah. What does it do? Like, why is it there? What's it doing beyond just what we think of? So I think the first thing, again, knowing that it's essential to all animal life and that it is integral or an essential element of our cell membranes, right? So it's an element of our cell membranes, which basically keeps things inside and protects the cell contents from external invaders. So it's a barrier defender, if you will. 
It's vital for the formation and maintenance of cell walls. It makes hormones. So it's a hormone building block. So we've talked about in the episode, the pregnenolone steel, right? How estrogen, testosterone, cortisol, and other steroidal compounds are manufactured from cholesterol. Cholesterol is essential to make bile acids, which we know bile acids are important in aiding fat absorption, as well as fat metabolism in the body, right? Especially when we're eating high fats. And bile acids also play a big role in detoxification, kind of in gathering or sequestering and removing in the stool. We know that cholesterol is used by our nervous system as an insulator, so it aids within that myelination or the protective coating of our nervous system signals. We know that it is a precursor to vitamin D, and the body converts cholesterol into vitamin D and then has its whole arrays of hormonal and metabolic and immunological influence. It helps specifically the immune system cholesterol itself beyond vitamin D impact by improving our T cell signaling, and that can help to be anti-inflammatory. Cholesterol is necessary for the absorption of fats and fat-soluble vitamins, talking beyond vitamin D, A, E, and K. It is a tool that helps with serotonin activity in the brain. Um, so we've seen impact on depression and anxiety with lower levels of cholesterol. It can serve as an antioxidant in the body. It is used in maintaining, not just building, but maintaining the function of our cell walls. And it plays a dynamic role beyond just our myelin and our serotonin on our neurotransmitter receptors. So basically there's a structural component of that cholesterol provides as a sterol that helps those receptors to get the signals from all neurotransmitters. Okay. That's a pretty epic list right there. I feel like we could just like leave it at that, but we won't. Um, let's dig in a little bit deeper just on a couple of these, starting with cell membrane integrity. Sure. So, you know, we have bilipid membranes uh, that comprise our, our cell walls and saturated fat makes our cell membrane. So, you know, the important thing to remember if we're connecting diet to this equation is that not only do we want to ensure we have enough fat in the diet to support healthy cell membranes, but we want the liver to be in an optimized state so that it's making the healthy levels of cholesterol. And also we're limiting the inflammatory types of fats, like those polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which can often be oxidized. So we're getting these rancid fats from canola oil or just the, the generic term vegetable oil, which can incorporate corn, soy, cottonseed, you name it. These inflammatory high omega-6 industrialized fats really lack nourishing compounds and can become a part of your cell membrane that would have less integral function. So it's not going to have as benefit of structure and it's not going to have as benefit of hormonal building block or neurological benefit for our body as the saturated fats would. That's such a literal interpretation or, or kind of visual of you are what you eat, right? That your cell membranes are using this stuff and you don't want them made out of crap. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you think about your cell signaling occurs at the membrane level, right? So it goes back to that. We talked about in a couple episodes back about, you know, if we're in a state of 
just generalized inflammation and we're talking about our brain chemistry and our mood and our thoughts, it's like our neurons are firing through jello, like <laughs> slow motion, right? When we're at a base of inflammation, think of the same thing of where the signal's docking, where the signal's hitting. We have all these receptors on our cell membrane. So if the cell membrane is comprised of you know, low quality fats or oxidized, damaged, scrambled molecules, the signaling system is also going to be muted or delayed or suboptimal. Okay. All the more reason to eat all the good saturated fats, you guys. Um, what about cholesterol as just a steroid building block, as you said? Um, we'll talk a little bit maybe about the hormone and, and cortisol connection there. Yeah. So again, you know, cholesterol is the precursor to build pregnenolone, which is the master hormone and pregnenolone converts into progesterone and, uh, it can also convert into cortisol and it can also convert into testosterone. And so through this pathway, there can be, which we've called in episode 139, the pregnenolone steel, where when the body's running on an androgenic or stress mode, it shunts all that progesterone into corticosteroids or stress responding compounds. But remember, regardless of the state of your adrenals and your stress, that cortisol itself is an anti-inflammatory compound. And so, you know, again, this whole building block pathway and conversion is all based on essential compounds that just need to be balanced in a symphony, if you will, in your body and, and not have one muted and one too loud, but all of them are built from cholesterol regardless. So you need enough of that building compound to make any of the steroidal or sexual hormones in the body. Got it. So if your cholesterol is too low, you just don't have that raw material available for that whole cascade symphony. Exactly. And I think that's why dropping cholesterol levels too low is one of the primary ways that it accelerates the aging process. Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes so much sense because you don't have any hormones left. This is true. <laughs> so much good stuff to unpack. And, and I'll link back to episode 139 on the pregnenol and steel, as well as our episode 152 on perimenopause and menopause, where we talk about the connection as well. So, so much good stuff. Um, but before we go any further, let's have just a quick word from our second sponsor of our episode, us. <laughs> I know. Isn't that kind of fun? <laughs> I know. Like, are we going to do it as like a formal ad? I'm going to try it. Ready? Yeah, let's try Are it. you burned out, running on <laughs> adrenaline, overextended and feeling anxious, experiencing weight gain or metabolic stress, dealing with hormone imbalance, just holding it together, but knowing it could be better? My Adrenal Rehab Program provides you the science and strategy to rebound your primary stress glands to support your body's returning to balance while mellowing the mind. I think that's enough reading, yeah. but you guys, basically, <laughs> that's why you need it. If you're burned out, if you're running on adrenaline, um, you know, we've hit in today's episode how if the adrenals are off, they can kind of steal all your cholesterol, of course, and that's the direct connection today. But uh, the program really unpacks a, a way for you to understand if you're stressed and tired or stressed and wired. 
and how that could be driving dysfunction within your body, as well as the tools, both food as medicine, supplements, and advanced labs that can help you to get back into control of optimizing your regulatory state. Because if you are under chronic unmanaged stress, this is going to be that driver of chronic illness. It can drive autoimmune conditions, inflammatory disease, digestive issues, hormone imbalance, weight gain, and so much more. Yes. And this program is really unique to any that we've put out prior. And I'm just loving watching all the content come together in these kind of final days before we start to push it while Byron's doing the editing. Um, There are, is it five or six recipes? I think five, five, six, there's six. There's six recipes of Allie in the kitchen making everything from her lemon lavender CBD balls, which are amazing, to the adrenal rehab shake, which is such a good tool for um, just supporting the adrenal glands using food as medicine and really learning the connection of the why, not only with food, but also there's a lot of really good application of how you can use different supplements in our line why you're taking these things, when it would be appropriate to take them, and kind of how to put all those tools together. It's really, really comprehensive. Yes. And I cover the role of fats as fuel for your adrenals, of course, kind of connecting today's conversation even further, and why I use nutritional ketosis to support adrenal function. And I break down a lot of the myths of the impact and the connection of keto and adrenal fatigue. I also, of course, when I'm making recipes like the matcha lime pudding with blackberries and low-carb collagen zucchini muffins, and one of my favorite new recipes that I developed during filming it, <laughs> the turmeric <laughs> coconut chicken thighs. Oh, so good. Uh, <laughs> so good, right? All of them are going to empower you with the food as medicine information of, you know, why this ingredient is added, the mechanism of action in your body. So you can take that beyond the application of that one recipe, but really start to use this to empower yourself in your daily food decisions. So of course I go on rants about why I hate non-caloric sweeteners. I talk all about leptin and the impact of stress and your overall allostatic load. So basically, you know, what are you taking on and how is that making your body more resilient or is it burning your body out? And there's a lot of lifestyle uh, uh, really tools and conversation within the program. So I actually take you guys out on my deck and um, it's very windy, but you'll feel like you're in nature, so it's worth it. And uh, we talk about anything from blue blockers to you know what I use uh, with my laptop uh, device to block EMF, uh, you know the daily stressors that we're facing based on cognitive and emotional and social media. We talk about mantra and it's just a really intimate program. It has hours of footage, over three hours of video content, and it comes with customizable interactive worksheets, supportive materials, and uh, you're also going to be able to do this at your own pace, which is really exciting. So it's the type of program that when you purchase it, you'll get access to everything. We are setting up 
which will trickle in from your time of purchase for check-in emails at the week one, week two, week three, and week four, because I really feel that getting through this content within a four to six week period would be optimal. Um, you know, it's one of those types of things where each six to eight minute video is pretty deep dive. You might rewatch it, you might make notes. And then what we're doing with the emails as they come through is each week, we're going to provide you a little bit more direct engagement in the sense of some challenges, applying the information that you've learned, checking in, giving suggestions and additional resources and, and really accountability so that the program works for you. Yes. So you can start it at any time. You don't have to be stressed about timeline of the holidays or if you need to put it on pause, you certainly can and kind of plan around what you've got going on. But it's a really good way to just set yourself up for success and not going into that you know, holiday downward spiral, <laughs> if you will. Yes. Um, and the code for the pre-sale is going to be adrenal 99. So write that down somewhere, or I'll include it in the show notes as well. Um, and you can check it out at alimillercom slash adrenal dash rehab. Is that right? AllieMillerRD.com. Oh Don't yeah. Forget that. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll include it in the show notes so you don't have to write down a link or worry about that, but we're yep, super but, excited. And it's pre-sale now. So the program I believe is $150 and it will be pre-sale until it launches at the $99 rate. So make sure you snag it. The program should go live around the 15th, give or take of October. So we will be in pre-sale mode until that launch date, but all details over at AllieMillerRD.com. All right. So let's talk a little bit about um, big shifts in cholesterol with hormone transition. So we did cover this a little bit in the um, menopause episode, but I think it's important to reiterate that oftentimes when we see a spike in cholesterol, we've got to look at the whole picture of what else is going on. Did you change your diet? Well, that could be it, but is something going on hormonally or is something going on, you know, even to the extent of thyroid hormones that we need to look yes. a little bit deeper into. So let's talk about that kind of puzzle piece. Right. So again, connecting the dots that your cholesterol is a building block for hormone production. So when you have a shift in hormones, especially menopause or postpartum, or even I see this with active mamas that are breastfeeding and their output has changed dramatically, right? That's a big dynamic influence on fat. And that's a big impact on sexual hormone and, and the liver trying to kind of recalibrate this. So we do see a rise in LDL and total cholesterol during a time of hormone reduction or as the hormone levels decline. And there was a study in the U.S. that looked at over a thousand women um, and they followed them for 10 years and they found that in that menopausal time frame, there was a dynamic shift where women's average LDL rose by about 9% or over 10 points and that the average total cholesterol increased by over 6%. So that's a timestamp that, yes, you might see fluctuation or change. And when we're talking about the thyroid, there's a dynamic connection of thyroid activity tying into LDL expression based on LDL receptors. So just to kind of unpack for a moment, remember when we're talking hormone, which thyroid hormone is a type of hormone, right? Not sexual hormone, but it's a type of metabolic hormone. All hormone works with lock and key mechanism. So if we're talking about uh, cholesterol and it, it 
kind of playing a role with building the cell membrane or the cell wall, right? And we think of like insulin resistance. So in a state of insulin resistance, the pancreas is putting out insulin at higher amounts because that cell receptor site, your insulin receptors are likely inflamed. Um, And so this could be in a sense where you have too many keys, too many uh, insulin molecules, and they're not docking to the receptor site, right? So if we're talking about thyroid, we have seen in studies that there is a couple different overlapping pathways. One is with the connection of TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone. Remember, that's made by your brain, right? So we've seen TSH increasing um, based on the activity of the enzyme HMG-CoA reductase, which is that pathway that regulates cholesterol synthesis. So if someone is hypothyroid, they're generally going, so that means that they don't have a lot of circulating thyroid hormone. Their pituitary is probably reading this low hormone level in the thyroid, and so TSH is going to go up. And again, the TSH increase can stimulate cholesterol production. So that's one connection there. Another element of this is based on our thyroid hormones, we're going to see an impact on our lipoprotein lipase levels, um, which is going to have an influence with our cholesterol regulation. So we see that the level of our free active thyroid hormone, our T3, T3 stimulates LPL or that lipoprotein lipase. And LPL is going to play a role with breaking down cholesterol in the body. So someone that has an optimized thyroid or optimized T3, right, they're going to have more favorable metabolism influence on cholesterol. And the T3 also increases the expression of the LDL receptors. So this means that there's less circulating LDL. It's being broken down by that lipase pathway, and it's docking more favorably when the T3 level is optimized. And as the T3 level is optimized, the TSH is going down, so we're not stimulating cholesterol production. Okay. And then even beyond that, T3 has been seen to protect against... LDL oxidation, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah. I mean, and that's the name of the game. If we're concerned about cholesterol at all, it's about the oxidation, right? Or the damage of the compounds by inflammatory processes and or oxidative stress And, you know, that's where we're starting to see on the negative side of of over-medicating potentially with like Synthroid, if we have high T4, that can actually enhance LDL oxidation, whereas optimized T3 with a balanced T4 can support the free radical scavenging effects and reduce the oxidative damage. Okay. So in the case of, you know, a thyroid issue or too low of T3 or or not getting enough expression of that, this actually could be an early sign that something's off in the body and needs to be addressed if all of a sudden our cholesterol panel is coming back, you know, really wonky and and off. Um, So I I think that's, you know, and and that's something to be said is like, do we want to just throw a statin in there and block the body from doing something it's trying to do for a reason? You've got to remember the body is smart. It doesn't want to die and it does these things for a reason, right? Yes. It's always trying to understand the why. So this is information and, and we look at our cholesterol, I believe the most 
important use of it is to look at trends. And so understanding, yes, is the body trying to reduce inflammation or protect me, right? Is there something going on on an inflammatory level? Or is there something going on metabolically that the body's trying to recalibrate from? Was it dynamic weight loss? Is there a thyroid shift? And uh, was there sexual hormone change or is there a dynamic shift with the adrenals? Was there a big stress change in this lifestyle? And that's why cholesterol levels are dynamically changing. I think that's really important, like looking at this as information versus looking at it as a scary risk factor that something is really wrong and you're going to have a heart attack. Right, right. Most definitely. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about other benefits, redeeming qualities of cholesterol, um, including cholesterol's role as an antioxidant. Yes. I think this is super exciting stuff. And this is the like, I, I just, I, this is the stuff I want to yell from the hills because it's one thing to acknowledge that it might be more of a neutral value. It's one thing to acknowledge that, you know, cholesterol is going to be modified based on these other factors, but let's talk about how cholesterol heals and really protects our body. So it is involved in repair function and, you know, it works as essentially a regulator of reducing oxidative stress. And that's when we see cholesterol binding in the arteries, right? So it does play a role with plaque buildup, but that's always following macrophage activity. Remember white blood cell response of probably an infection. And that drives LDLs into the, remember the foam cell process. We talked about that in, in episode 40. So you can go way back to that, but there's always going to be an inflammatory an injury or an infection type response that cholesterol will come in to try to fix like a firefighter putting out that inflammation in the body. And cholesterol has been shown outside of the arteries and the vessels as a brain antioxidant. So cholesterol protects our brain cells from the impact of oxidative stress or free radical damage. So, you know, our brain is about two to 3% of our body weight, but 25% of the cholesterol in our body is stored in the brain. And not only does it protect against oxidative damage, it also, as I mentioned, kind of lubricates the neurological system. It enhances the membrane function and it aids in that neurotransmission on the receptor site as well. So we've seen in studies through the NIH that in the elderly population, the best memory function was seen with those individuals that had the highest levels of cholesterol. So yeah, going back to that connection of Alzheimer's and low cholesterol, you want it to be higher to protect your brain, especially yeah, as you age. That's where people come with that phrase, like statin mm -hmm, brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that there's a lot of validity within that. Okay. And then beyond, you mentioned kind of some of the immune uh, immune function of cholesterol with foam cell activity and macrophage and all of that. But let's talk about how LDL actually will increase during an active infection and kind of a couple of these really cool mechanisms of how it fights infection in the body. Yeah. So it, you think of it again, like these foam cells, literally, like I think of like, I remember the drawings from a, anatomy and physiology of like these like 
bubbles, <laughs> essentially. And so you think in the state of an infection that LDL, remember the, the quote unquote bad type of cholesterol, but what I would like to call the essential survival <laughs> necessary element of cholesterol, in an infection state, LDL soaks up or basically attaches itself to pathogens, which is another word for bad bacteria. And it plays a role with actually stopping the infection process. It reduces bacterial, viral, and parasitic activity by basically binding or adhering to the pathogen. And that blocks its entry into our cells and it keeps the pathogen essentially outside of our cells so that our immune cells can identify and remove. And there are study after study after study that demonstrate uh, one was a mouse model with salmonella, and they saw that there was a sevenfold increase in LDL in test mice, um, which had a 95% survival rate, as opposed to a 0% survival rate in those that weren't able to have that LDL increase. And that's trended towards that, that binding capacity. Then there's another marker uh, that I talk about a lot in the anti-anxiety diet and when I'm talking about leaky gut, LPS. And so LPS, remember, is uh, stands for lipopolysaccharide, and this is found in the membrane of some bacteria. Um, we think of this as an endotoxin, and LPS in high amounts uh, can be very severe. We tend to see high elevated amounts in like a sepsis where there is like a fatal level of bacteria in the body. But we see that lipoproteins like VLDL and LDL can actually circumvent the impact of LPS and can bind to it, which has a neutralizing effect and reduces this overactivation of the immunological processes. So basically these, these lipoproteins can indirectly block pathogens from entering the cells by binding to them, and they can signal our immune system to work more efficiently. So, so cool. And then, you know, there are certain studies out there, one that I'll link to in particular, the Leiden study, um, where the group with the highest cholesterol of 300 plus actually had the lowest overall mortality, which we've referenced, but also cancer, infection, and pneumonia rates, which is especially prevalent in the elderly population. And a lot of that mechanism is likely tied to infection, right? Yep. So we're talking about the regulation of, again, bacteria, virus, and, and forms of, of pathogen in the body, and also the antioxidant properties of protecting and reducing the oxidative stress in the body um, and supporting cell membranes. I think that that's just kind of the, the name of the game and, and enhancing furthermore, enhancing cellular signaling. So I'm pretty convinced that cholesterol is a good thing. Um, hopefully yes. you guys are too. <laughs> Let's transition from some of these benefits into how we can actually support healthy cholesterol levels and, and kind of what we want to watch for um, in our diet that we're including to support all of these different functions. So I think it's really essential to support the liver first and foremost, um, because again, as we said, you know, less than likely a quarter of what you're eating impacts your cholesterol. So I want you to eat quality fats. I want you to go for saturated fats. I want you to have a high fat diet, but I think the first priority is regulating your liver's function. And so if we're supporting your liver, I would be looking at, you know, 
doing, uh, eating things that support bioflow. So this is incorporating things like your raw leafy greens. Uh, bioflow is going to be stimulated by turmeric. We also can be stimulating it with green tea. Um, so these bitter alkaloid uh, foods and anti-inflammatory foods, which support the upper digestive function would be really important. And I would layer in the significance of two supplements in the liver focus. One would be the Reset, Restore, Renew Detox Packs. And then the other would be the Cellular Antiox, which has S-acetyl glutathione and N-acetylcysteine as two of the primary nutrients that are going to optimize that grandmama antioxidant glutathione, which is also made in the liver. Because if the liver is functioning optimally, that's going to downstream impact the types of cholesterol manufactured and ensuring that you're getting what your body needs and that that organ is responding appropriately. That makes a lot of sense. And especially if we're seeing like really elevated levels of triglycerides, I always go to liver function first. Also make sure we're not eating a bunch of refined carbs, but liver function for sure. Um, and even within that, um, use of digestive enzymes, I'd probably add into that just for, you know, um, not seeing like bile stagnation and, and things like that. I would absolutely. Yeah. So layering in the digestate would be great. And, you know, connecting the dots, Becky, about which we talked about in our liver episode, you know, NASH or, you know, the fatty liver, that's non-alcoholic fatty liver is highly associated with, elevated blood sugar levels, especially fructose, which is a hepatotoxin. So definitely first line of defense with diet would be a low glycemic approach to the diet and uh, likely a ketogenic diet would be supportive for cholesterol regulation. And then yes, just supporting that liver. And so other things that we'd consider would be looking at uh, B vitamins like pantothenate or B5 specifically. This is required for that acetyl-CoA, which is you know what is found in the mitochondria playing a role with energy production and drives that uh, production of cholesterol and ketones in the body. So B5, super important. And B5 often gets depleted from stress. So we're looking at foods like cauliflower. We're looking at all of our arrays of proteins, so our beef, poultry, seafood, eggs, fish, uh, avocado, mushrooms are another great source, as are uh, sweet potatoes for the B5. And you'd get that in a supplemental form in my B-complex, as well as the adrenal support and calm and clear all have a good abundant level of B5, which would replete a deficiency if that's something you're experiencing. Okay. And then what about just eating saturated fat to support healthy cholesterol levels? Yeah. And I think that, you know, eating the saturated fat, what I've seen clinically, I couldn't find a lot of this. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, labs that are important to run, ratios to look for. But what I clinically see is the increase of saturated fats help with increasing HDL levels. And uh, what I also tend to see is the reduction of refined carbohydrates, not only reducing triglycerides, of course, but also reducing the total LDL particle count that as we eat more saturated fat and also as the diet macros shift to be lower carbohydrate and more total fat consumption, we tend to make more of the large boil 
buoyant LDL compounds and less of the small dense, which tend to trend also with less uh, opportunity, if you will, for oxidative stress or the pathology of you know cardiovascular risk. Got it. Any other nutrients or foods you want to call out for supporting cholesterol levels? I think those are the big ones, really. You know, and and uh, fiber, which you kind of uh, you know mentioned foreshadowing. I, I think that if if I'm finding someone who has a dynamic change in their total cholesterol and their LDL, um, let's just maybe unpack some of the interventions, and um, then we'll put a link to lab notes. But the, the big things that I'm always going to focus on is let's regulate inflammation in these garden hose vessels, right? So let's get going with a good quality omega-3. That's also going to reduce triglycerides. So the EPA DHA extra is a great foundation at, you know, two to four capsules a day to maintain elasticity within the vessels. And also that will have an influence on lowering the triglycerides and potentially having a favorable impact on the LDL particles, uh, you know, reducing the small dents and supporting those larger buoyant if you know you have a state of inflammation, you have a high sensitivity C-reactive protein that's elevated in the blood, layering on something like inflammazyme or super turmeric would be a great strategy. And, you know, the super turmeric may be more so if you especially have like liver stagnation because that's going to support more of that bile pathway. Whereas the inflammazyme, I'd focus more on if you have issues with fibroids or tissue buildup or are, um, you know, dealing with systemic inflammation or you have a marker elevated called LPA. Um, that tends to be an associative factor of blood clot formation. So inflammazyme would be a good add-on for that element. If HDL isn't high enough, I like to make sure, I always say, are you eating enough coconut oil and are you eating enough avocados? And I generally recommend like three whole avocados a week. And uh, depending on the individual's fat intake, one to two tablespoons of coconut oil to support an increase of that HDL. I also like to check on niacin, which is a different B vitamin than the pantothenate. Niacin, which is B3, has a significant role on increasing that HDL. So the B complex would be a great tool for that reason as well, getting that HDL up. And then aside from the coconut oil and the avocado, exercise tends to bump up that healthy HDL. And then if LDL is elevated as a fluke and it's trending up and we're not understanding why and thyroid looks good and, and inflammation isn't concerning and the individual wants that what I call good report card for whatever reason, you know, that's when then I'll bring in like a binder like phytofiber. It's a great way to, to bring down total cholesterol and LDL levels. I'm not sure that that's necessary to do so, um, but it does help the colon in regulating excess circulating hormone. So remember, again, sometimes we see these cholesterol levels going up if the receptor sites aren't optimized, right? This lock and key mechanism. And so the phytofiber does not harmfully pull down cholesterol. It just removes the excess circulating. So I think it's a good intervention which is going to also help your body to detoxify excess estrogen, aid in bowel formation, support the short-chain fatty acid production in the microbiome. Um, so, you know, that would be really a first-line defender to reduce the circulating lipids. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that that would be necessary as far as a uh, health-supporting impact from what we're talking about the benefits here. 
But if you have other excess hormone, that could definitely help. Sure. So again, like you said, more for getting the seal of approval versus anything else, but without any of the negative benefits of something like a statin drug. Right. Because you're not, you're not blocking production. And that's what I like about the phytofiber as a tool, you know, something like a red yeast rice, since we're on the pathway, right? Something like a red yeast rice is going to block that HMG CoA reductase pathway. And so that actually will in some turn, not as dangerously as a statin, but it will in some turn, you know, impact that enzyme pathway. It's called monocolon K. That's the active compound that statins are actually derived from, from the red yeast rice. And that's one that I really only use in the sense of someone says to me, I, I won't sleep at night until I get this number adjusted. And um, I explain my two cents and now I'll have this podcast to play for them. Sure. Uh, but, but if they're looking to get that number down, that's the safest mechanism as an alternate to a statin drug. But with that being said, I don't generally use often in my clinic. I just do the phytofiber. I keep the inflammation at bay. I get that HDL up and you know I reduce the risk factors associated with uh, tissue buildup or clot formation, which means regulating estrogen, regulating inflammation again, um, and then really look at how the body's metabolizing and, and why. Awesome. So I will link to all of the formulas that we've mentioned. Let's just close it out with um, maybe a little bit of talk on our cardiometabolic panel and kind of some of the more in-depth markers beyond just a, a basic cholesterol panel of what you should be looking at, what you might want to ask your doctor to run through your insurance if that's possible, um, or what you could have run through us with the cardiometabolic panel and an email review um, just to kind of check all of our fronts of inflammation, particle size, all the things. Yes. And if you, you know, as a, as a base, the, the, what I call dumbed down cholesterol panel is just triglyceride, LDL, HDL, and total. And of that information, really the only thing that is of value, I believe from all this new information out here now is looking at your triglyceride to HDL ratio. This is also an indicator of insulin resistance or prediabetes. And we really like to see this ratio under two. If it goes above two, so that would mean if your triglycerides were, let's say, 110 and your HDL was only 50, then that would start to be at a suboptimal ratio there. So that's something you can watch in the dumbed-down panel. But beyond that, I would say that running our cardiometabolic panel is, is going to be much more thorough and investigative. It's going to include the LDL particle count as well as a distribution of the particle size, which again, the smaller the total particles, likely a favorable thing. Um, and, uh, you know, the more particles, the more opportunity for that oxidative stress, but the total LDL number, which is an algorithm is non-concerning. It's really tracking the trends of your particle shifts. And then even beyond that, I like to look even more heavily at C-reactive protein, homocysteine and LP little a, which are all markers of inflammation and vascular function independent of cholesterol. And then in that panel, we also get to see cool markers like your leptin levels, your adiponectin levels, your fasting insulin, a hemoglobin A1C. So it's a really thorough assessment of true cardiovascular risk factor, as well as providing valuable information on how you might be modifying your carbohydrate intake, whether you know carb cycling is something to consider, or if you're in a state of leptin resistance and your leptin's too high, you may need to do less fat intake from the diet and more intermittent fasting. 
Yes. And that's always the panel I recommend kind of for anyone who's coming to me with the like panic struck in <laughs> look on their face of, yeah. I just got this back from my doctor and oh my gosh, my cholesterol just shot up to 400. I'm like, okay, let's relax. Let's like look at the rest of the surrounding information just as a good baseline, you know, to start. And then we can dig into hormones or thyroid if we don't find anything there. Um, but can be really helpful too for an individual who maybe is six months or a year into keto and wants to see kind of what has shifted favorably and how they can better support their body. Totally. And again, you know, I hope we dropped some clear connections of, yeah, if you're going keto and that's a new dynamic change, remember your liver had to make so much of that fat and now it's like, hey, this stuff's all here. (laughs) So there is a recalibration mode for sure. Yep. Yep. So I think to just summarize, because I just want this to be like so abundantly clear, you guys, and we can just send this podcast to everyone who's panicking out there. Um, You know, when your cholesterol goes up, it's because your body probably needs it to do so for repair, for hormone production, for fighting an infection. So the idea of just lowering your cholesterol to get like, you know, a gold ribbon or whatever we want to call it, that seal of approval, just can totally work against you and that natural repair process. Yes. And that's not even saying the other side effects of using the medication that does that. Um, Talking about, you know, myopathy or muscle wasting, hormone decline, depression, anxiety, and so much more. So dietary cholesterol does not significantly affect your blood levels, right? We've made that very clear and is no longer a quote unquote nutrient of concern or something that we have to reduce. So I want you eating 16 plus eggs a week because of the choline and the B vitamins and all the benefit from the fats in your egg yolk. Uh, cholesterol levels do not statistically correlate to heart disease at all. In fact, the low levels are more of a risk factor for death as well as dementia and cognitive decline. And your body knows what it's doing. We just need to understand what it's trying to address and or repair, look at the hormones, look at the inflammation, and then support the process. Awesome. So if you guys loved today's episode, please share it with someone who could benefit from this information and please go on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.